Welcome to Spoilers. I am your uh, kind of pseudo host tonight, Stevie, along with me, Pappy. Hello. Hey there. And tonight we are going to be talking about Netflix's hit, very short canon cartoon so far, Castlevania. Uh, before we get into it, though, something kind of pops back because I'm feeling kind of spastic tonight. Paps, um, are there a lot of good bars out in Colorado? There are quite a few nice bars here in Denver, Colorado. Where I'm recording from tonight. Why do you ask? So, well, I was, th- was going to throw this up tonight, but I don't want to hijack like money's episode. Like, so your home base right now is, are you in Denver or Boulder, Colorado? I live in Denver. I work near Boulder. We've talked about this so many times. You work in Louisville, Colorado. Um, uh, yeah, but it said Louis still. <laughs> like. So uh, what's your favorite bar in Denver? And since you're so well-traveled, if you could like oh, give the man. listeners some insights... Like, what's your favorite bar, like, out-of-state Colorado? So, like, you, you know, you, you've traveled to Texas, you've traveled outside the country. What's a real, like, memorable bar you could give advice for people to go to if they end up there? Oh, what Remember, a Remember, you've been question. to San Antonio, too. That's very true. So, I guess, first part, my favorite bar in Colorado is I'm a big fan of Pub on Penn here in my local neighborhood. Uh, please don't come there and murder me, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to name a specific bar outside of the, uh, outside of this city because I, I've, I've been to quite a few. Mm-hmm. I'll say here's what, here's what, here's what's a sign of a good bar. All right. Okay. If you, if you walk in and if the bar has a footstool, you're in a good bar. <laughs> if the bar has at least two bartenders, you're in a good bar as well. If the majority of people who are at the bar are standing and not sitting, that's a sign of a bad bar. That you don't is want to a go to sign a bar of like the that. worst bar. Yeah, you want you want a bar where there's like people sitting and a few people standing. Um, and last but not least, every bar that's a bar worth its salt will have a a corner of regulars, and your goal should always be to work your way towards that corner and to earn a spot at the corner. Oh, uh, that is good advice. I guess same question to you, Stevie. What do you what do you look for in a bar? Well, I'm I'm very like uh, polar opposite ends of the spectrum here, and it comes to my favorite type of bars. Uh, I like very pub style, old wood, kind of. Uh, I guess you could say just kind of uh, very um, rustic looking bars. I'm with you there. Like yeah. I, I like pubs. You know, I like going on a Saturday. I he I love watching soccer on the weekends. So if I'm if I'm kind of like a metropolis area, like with those bars open at seven or eight a.m., I like kind of like those rustic looking pubs. Uh, those are a lot of fun to go to. I'm also a big fan of. Uh, I guess I wouldn't say clubs or not, but my favorite bar in Elkhart's probably Yakita. Uh, they just have great beer and they have great food. Uh, that's uh, Yakita Brewery on Main Street in Elkhart. Everyone should check that place out. And, uh, see, I go to Chicago quite a bit. This is kind of an off-the-wall reference. There's this bar in Chicago called Ace Bounce. That is a ping-pong bar, and it is amazing. It is nothing but ping-pong tables everywhere where you can run out the table, and they're constantly bringing you buckets of beer and buckets of ping-pong balls playing constantly. That is a really fun bar. But I'm with you. 
I'm with you on the uh, um, if everyone's standing, that is a sign of a really bad bar. Relative to our episode tonight, though, I be- I went to a bar in Rapungi, Tokyo called Motown House. If you're ever in Japan, I cannot recommend Motown House more. It's uh, <laughs> a bunch of drunk Japanese middle-aged businessmen and women uh, dancing to uh, American pop songs from the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. It's a romp and a riot, is for it, sure. Is there karaoke? They don't have karaoke there, but everyone's just singing at the top of their lungs to the music. So, so I'm guessing pretty... there's a lot of journey. Uh, a fair amount of journey, a fair amount of uh, well, it's called Motown House, like Stevie <laughs> yeah. Wonder, yeah, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, that kind of scene. So they dig our music. The people at Motown House sure do. Man, that sounds like a blast. Also, I forgive the dog; she's throwing a fit right now. She saw a squirrel earlier and tried to run through the door. It was a nightmare. But um, to get to the episode tonight, we're talking about Netflix's new uh show, Castlevania. Which kind of break it down? Would you agree this is a pretty this is a pretty uh, anti-church establishment show? The whole premise of the show is anti-Catholicism um, at its core. The, the bad guys are the Catholic Church. Yeah, that's who the uh, that's who our villains are. Long story short, this woman. Uh, this is during what the f- late fifteen hundreds. Uh, they say the year, yeah, I think it's late late 1400s. Late 1500s, which yeah. is kind of the height of Inquisition. Um, for those who don't know, the Inquisitions by the Catholic Church are pretty god-awful. Long story short, if you knew anything about science or anything that kind of questioned uh, the Bible, they would either throw you in jail for the rest of your life or you would be burned at the stake. So this woman traveling from the village of Lupu, Lisa, uh, seeks out some pretty much is seeking out science, math, health. Uh, and she g- ends up on the doorstep of uh, Vlad Dracula, and uh, yes, that Dracula, that Dracula, not the, <laughs> not the other ones. We're talking just about Vlad. Yeah, uh, he, it's not a coincidence. He's actually the vampire Dracula. That himself. guy, yeah. and. Um, the animation in this show also looks beautiful, but Pap, why don't you describe the uh, first interaction we get between Lisa and Dracula? So it's very kind of Beauty and the Beastie, but a little bit more rushed. Uh, she yeah, it's not as much Stockholm syndrome. They kind of fall in love quickly. A little less singing, a little less awesome <laughs> uh, CGI over the shoulder chandelier shots, but uh, they they do bond over their love of science. Um, and they end up getting married, and then that ends up costing her her life. But he's very trying to like scare her off at first, but she's very tough and resilient. Uh, she's a smart woman. Yeah, she melts that like the heart of the beast, essentially. Yeah. So, um, there's dracula seems pretty much like a mad scientist his laboratory and also his castle is just pretty much science electricity um chemicals running through tubes everything that shouldn't be going on in the late 1500s that we know of uh fast forward what seems to be probably 20 years considering Aculard his we'll get into it his son but um in the uh, metropolis of uh targovishta lisa is being oh, burned God. oh go ahead no, I say well, well pronounced, but yeah, yeah. These are some pretty tough names to get over. But in the metropolis of uh, 
Targovishta. Uh, Lisa's being burned at the stake by pretty much the bishops and the archbishops of that district for being a witch. The crowd's all behind it. Um, that's pretty much where we meet our main villain, which is just... Does the bishop have a name or is it just bishop? I think it's like the archbishop, but I don't remember his name. Uh, but he's very sort of doubt catholic creepy he's got the long nails he looks very demonic even though he's like a leader in the church uh but he's calling for their her burning right yeah uh they think she's a witch and uh they burn her at the stake and we cut to dracula walking to what used to be lisa's house or their house because lisa made him Made him or uh, made him promise to her that he would do everything human as possible, which is traveling like a human, even though he can travel crazy amounts of spaces in no matter of time at all. I gotta imagine eating like a human, pretty much trying to become as human as possible to understand what they are like, as opposed to an immortal like Dracula. He finds out by an old lady that hey, Lisa's been uh, she's been burned alive, man. You're <laughs> not gonna like this. So. In a fiery flame, transports uh, into the heart of Targovishta, right behind the cross or the stake at which uh, Lisa's just been burned alive. And he tells them, get out of Dodge now. You guys have one, one year. year. Yeah, he, he, he does the soup Nazi, one you guys. One year. year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one year. And um, you kind of get the backstory of what people think of Dracula, which is just he's kind of a myth to scare away children at night which they find out this dude's for real. Uh, the archbishop and our evil bishop, bishop kind of bulk at him saying, you know, not possible. So he goes away. Then one year later, they're throwing a festival in the honor of Lisa's death. Now, uh, Pap, why don't you set up the uh, animation and scenes that unfold here? <laughs> well, it's just so, it's just so strange because they're all like gathered in this courtyard around this like ginormous, cathedral on top of a hill right the the, the uh, archbishop is giving a speech saying essentially you know it's it's been one year since we all imagined the devil here among <laughs> us or something and like, yeah like cheering or something and then uh i think the does the devil face like the cl- the clouds get dark like and it clouds doesn't get like, dark i think um doesn't a tip of off crows? the speaker Dracula's castle kind of emerges from the ground. Castlevania, yeah, which is like it's a really awesome looking building. It's got like oh, it's cool, thin causeways and like spiraling towers everywhere. It's really sweet. Looks uh, like something out of a Stephen King novel. Yeah, exactly. So, and then Dracula appears. Uh, these demon armies come down, and then like this show does not go like soft on the violence. It goes. Hardcore people getting disemboweled, children dying, women dying, people getting chopped in half. It's intense. It's very intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like a scene that I pictured like Metallica would be jamming out in the background. It's raining blood, like gory <laughs> blood everywhere. There's demons flying around. These demons are terrifying looking. These things are at least twelve feet tall, giant wings, giant claws, slashing people in half. It's like if the. Uh... Ghoul or the uh, gargoyles from Hunchback in Notre Dame were not nice. Not nice at all. <laughs> Very similar to that. Um, 
And the archbishop is probably 700 pounds in this scene. He's just a glutton. And I think a giant piece of glass uh, impales him. Yep. So uh, kind of how the Catholic Church works is uh, there's archbishops which overlook, kind of oversee metropolis districts, which is what Targovishta was. And then there's other bishops that overlook uh, much smaller districts. And now our evil bishop, who is just kind of an overlooker of small bishops or small districts, is now the main bad guy since our archbishop got impaled by glass. Mm. And after pretty much Targovishta is ransacked and ruined, all that leaves us with, I believe, is uh, is that Greshit? Uh, well, I, it like goes into that pub scene, right? Here. I'm not sure if that's in Greshit or not, but we yeah. uh, fall upon our our main character uh, of over the next episode, which is Trevor Belmont Trevor of House Belmont. Belmont. Yeah. Who, uh, whose family was excommunic- excommunicated by the church. Uh, they used to fight vampires. I can't imagine werewolves, dragons at some point in their lives, defending others. And um, Trevor's just getting hammered into church, listening to two guys talk about how one of the guys beat up his cousin for trying to have sex with his goat. Uh, yeah, something like that. Like It's some kind of bar scene towards the end of the first episode and he's very much like a kind of a Jon Snow character like maybe his own honor hasn't been just like you know in question but his family has gone down the tubes so he's a former noble last Belmont the last he only, Belmont. He only yeah. says that about 13 times throughout the four episodes but uh he gets in a bar fight with these two very hardcore British guys. I have no I mean, Wallachia, looks up on Wiki, said it's set in Romania, but I have no idea if that's connected to actual Romania or just mythical Romania at all. And uh, this kind of reminded me of Castle in the Sky because for a bar fight that's pretty violent, they're playing like these really, I guess you could say, hokey children music. Did you notice that? Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of brings us to the tone of the show overall. There's very very good um violence and like action sort of set pieces and action animation Mm -hmm. which is tough to do but there's also like this element of humor it's like a later uh we just spoiled uh the evil dead but it's like more of a advanced ash character as opposed to kind of a campy tone yeah he's more like winking at the camera like whoa i can't believe i survived that and then like we'll drop (laughs) 10 layers through the castle like whoa you know i mean like he's there's always a wink and a grin while he's fighting these enemies and getting his own licks. Yeah, you always know he has the upper hand, so you can always kind of tell when he's toying with people. Uh, Trevor's a great fighter and gets hammered, gets in a fight, walks out. And I believe that's the end of our first episode, is it not? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and like, what this Netflix show does is it like encourages the binge watching. So like, episode two, Necropolis, I think it's mm-hmm. called. Like picks up right where that leaves off, like in the same bar, like trying to like come down from that fight, or it's like just insinuating it or something like that. Yeah, uh, Necropolis is a great title name, pretty terrifying. But uh, Trevor, very hungover, waking up the next morning, uh, walking towards the town of Greshit. I gotta imagine to uh, to get something to eat, something to uh, come down from his hangover. Beer realizes. Eat. Yeah, something realizes that the town's been kind of barricaded off. He gets in the town through Andy Dufresne's sewer system. He uh, sees there's dead bodies everywhere. 
in that, uh, long story short, we come upon these two priests beating up a speaker, which a speaker is just, um, how would you explain a speaker, Pap, in this show? I know they wear purple robes. Uh, if you've played any of the Elder Scroll games, or specifically Skyrim, they're kind of like the, uh, the keepers of the voice, but they are, they are scientists who exclusively like dabble in the oral history tradition. So they believe in like rational thought. They kind of like reject the church, but again, like their main thing is like electricity, except for they do have some wizardry elements, which which you find out later, but I'm missing anything here. Yeah. They, uh, they're pretty hardcore on the, uh, oral history, which means they don't look heavily on the past, which, the Catholic Church does very hard. And they're basically like the scapegoats for all of the problems that they're having. Like they're heretics, essentially, in the eyes of the church. Yeah, the cathedral in Grezia is where our evil bishop is now residing. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty much getting at the whole town to turn on the speakers that if we kill the speakers, all the demons will go away. Because he's just rejecting the idea of Jack Dracula so much. And Trevor befriends uh, an elder speaker while chopping off fingers of a priest with his whip. Yeah. Very like Indiana Jones-like. Cutting out a guy's eyeball. Oh, yeah. He whips out a guy's eyeball. Yeah, this show is very violent. Like, it, I mean, even in the first episode of Target Vista, it sets the tone early that there is nothing but violence in the show. Also good writing. But at the same time, like, the speakers don't necessarily condone this violence. So as, like... Uh, Trevor like, gets to meet this new speaker and like goes to his house and stuff. Like, they're very much anti the violence that he represents. Like, he they're a uh, very pacifist. The speakers, yeah, are. they're pacifists, but little do they know that it's almost like the Airbender. Uh, it's almost like Airbender with a granddaughter. <laughs> but um, there's kind of this myth that there's a sleeping soldier beneath. Uh, what is it beneath? Uh, one of the castles? Uh, yeah, I think so. I forget the name of it's the castle. Supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to be pretty much Dracula's The catacombs, yeah. Yeah, the speaker wants Trevor to go find... Uh, it's the elder speaker's grandchild that he wants Trevor to go find in the catacombs. He encounters a cyclops, which is really cool camera work in this show because it's not just square. The camera moves almost like a head at times back and forth. It looks really neat when you see first person views in this show. Um, Trevor takes out the Cyclops also very bloody and cool. And when he kills the Cyclops, the grandchild that was turned into stone turns into human. And that's when we figured out that uh, the grandchild is a granddaughter named Sifa. I get that one right. So yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the foam. only names I really honestly cared about in this show were Dracula and Trevor. And That's Bishop. all you need. The Belmont, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you hear Belmont a thousand times. Uh, Trevor and Sifa go back to where the speakers are. Trevor wants them to leave. They're like, nope, uh, we're staying. And that's when Trevor finds out that the bishop's going to have all the speakers torn to shreds by the uh, by the people of Greget if they don't leave. And... I don't think I missed anything here. I think that's when uh, Trevor, um, pretty much the whole town arrives at the speaker's uh, the speaker's little hut, isn't it? Yeah, basically. It says like the end of the second episode. Um, 
So Trevor does this like over dramatically reveal of the <laughs> daughter to the rest of the speakers. Um, but yeah, so apparently like shit's gonna go down at night. Uh, the the town thinks that if they kill these scientists, the speakers, the historians, that the devil will stop bothering them. Um, so the speakers like go into hiding. And that transitions into the third episode called Labyrinth, where uh, they get ready to take out the the they, they essentially he essentially Trevor just essentially kills the priests, but then he like lays down all these facts, which like turns the town against the priests, right? Yeah, there's also that great humor where like Trevor's getting like chased in the alleyways, and if I remember correctly, he um, throat slits a priest like spears another from a tall rooftop and there's like another priest shooting arrows that sees all this happen and kind of drops his stuff and runs away. <laughs> I remember laughing at that scene pretty hard, but juxtaposed to this, uh, the bishops in the cathedral, uh, I got to imagine reading from scripture and that's when demons enter the church. And uh, he pretty much is just baffled at how they can enter And that's when the head demon pretty much tells him that his God does not love him. He doesn't love the way that he's treating God. And that's when the demons tear him to shreds. Oh, man, that scene's so awesome, too. Like, yeah, there's actually great dialogue in that scene. I mean, it is anti-Catholic and anti-religion as this show is. It kind of gives credence to like God and uh, and Satan both exist in this world. It's just that God does not care the, about the way the bishop is running things. I mean, it's pretty much like he's running it like Satan. Well, anyone who would like come out of this being offended, I would just say like what it's really critical of is being anti-free thought, which the church is exhibiting and did exhibit at that point in time. You know During I mean? the Inquisitions, oh yeah. So it it's like not, yeah, not a pretty scene. The, like Dracula is on the side of like science and rational thought and like pushing for the Renaissance, so like. That's where the bad guys are coming from. It's a very like complex, like who's good, who's bad. Like the characters have like layered motivations, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the demons then descend upon uh, Trevor, C and Sifa, and that's when Trevor unites the townspeople to get pitchforks and salt and flame. And as uh, the demons descend upon them. Sifa throws up these giant ice walls and starts ice picking all the demons. Very mm-hmm. cool animation throughout this. And townspeople are throwing salt on the demons. Now, if I remember correctly, uh, they kill the head demon at the end of the third episode. Oh, yeah. And it's like this whole battle sequence is one of my favorite parts of the whole uh, limited first part of the show that we get. Uh, because it's like very much like Helm's Deep, like Trevor's like showing them how to like salt their swords and like get in formation and like rallying these like common peasants to become warriors. Like it's really cool. Like it's very like exciting in that build. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain like a show, like just to talk about it, but the animation is stellar in the show. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, it's so awesome. It's very, it's very dark. I mean, you get a lot of black and a lot of red, a lot of yellow, but I mean, that's to be expected. Like what the subject matter is. It's like Dracula, the devil, flames demons evil church <laughs> exactly yeah so it's a very dark very brooding but like very entertaining animation style and then we descend upon the fourth episode which is 
uh, Sifa and Trevor going deep into the catacombs trying to find the sleeping soldier, which is the speakers think that he's, I guess, the messiah of defeating Dracula. And Trevor just thinks it's all hogwash. And through a, almost like a video game type bumps and bruises along the way, I mean, they're just pretty much falling into the pits of where the sleeping soldier is. And once we eventually get there, it's a tomb that uh, they awake, and Trevor realizes that this tall, skinny, long-haired, blonde dude is a vampire. And through a ton of dialogue, Trevor and him fight for a solid 10 minutes. And then we find out that it's the character Aculard, which is Dracula's son. That whole scene kind of felt like when you're playing an RPG and you're allowed to like pick the dialogue, but like, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna end up fighting him anyway. And like the way Trevor goes is like the most aggressive like choices you can make. Like, fuck you, you're a vampire. <laughs> you need to die. Like either way, you end up fighting him. But like he goes like the most aggressive, most aggressive way that you can die possible. And Aculard is wielding this ten foot long sword, has super speed, toying with Trevor the whole time. And you come to find out it's Dracula's son, and I forget what he said. Um, didn't the speaker say that it would be like, um, like a fighter of monsters, a speaker, and I forget what else he said, but pretty much it was a prophecy foretold that all three of them would team up to be Dracula. Well, here's what's kind of cool about the way that that's presented as well. It's like the Dracula's son, uh, Aculard who is Nagasaki, so they're ace in the hole, like this extra weapon. Uh, he was aware of the prophecy, so he helped fulfill it. Like, it's very, like, circular. Like, the prophecy existed. The speakers bought into it. This guy bought into it, and that's why they, like, met up. Like, it wasn't actually, like, foretold. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's very interesting and, like, almost kind of scientific how that prophecy comes true. And it was also kind of cool, too, because he was in, like, the first 10 minutes of episode one, where he's kind of trying to calm Dracula down, saying, hey, leave these people alone. Don't do it. And then Dracula goes after him, and we never see him again. We're just like, who was that blonde dude? I, I had to rewind it a couple times the first time I watched it, because I was like, did I miss something along the way? Who was this guy? And then at the very end of, you know, last episode, oh, it's Dracula's kid. This makes way more sense now. And so, like the like the very like season ends, like they've teamed up, like they're, I think the last shot is literally them like marching arm in arm out to go fuck shit up. How bummed were you that was like the last part? I thought there were gonna be more episodes. I didn't realize it was only a four part series. It really leaves you wanting more. Like I would say, like maybe like the first episode and a half, it takes a little bit of time to like get into this world, which which I think a lot of you know like animes or like stuff from different countries do. But like once you're in, you're like okay. Now I'm rolling, like, we're season two, which it did get picked up. I mean, I almost even wouldn't call it, like, a season one. I feel like this was just a great foundation layer. 80 minutes, that's that's nothing, so. Yeah, and, I mean, this this was supposed to originally be a movie. I mean, uh, Warren Ellis, who's a great writer, uh, he's written graphic novels, novels, comic books. Um, He wrote this in 2007, and I guess it just went into development hell, which in 2015, they're like, okay, we're going to turn this into an anime. And it, I'm happy they did. It just looks awesome. Uh, Trevor Belmont is voiced by Richard Armitage, who, uh, for those who don't know, he played Thorin Oakenshield in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 
he's the big voice actor in this one. Is there anyone else I'm missing? No, there's really no one else, but like just to like sort of reemphasize what you said. So like in the history of Rotten Tomatoes, this is the only adaptation in the history to receive a fresh rating. So like, for a video game? Yeah, I don't think we've mentioned like Castlevania is based on an older a very old sort of PC gaming thing. Like, I think my dad had it, but I never really played it. Like, I think you were killing like Nazis and werewolves and vampires. Uh, did you ever play it? No. Um, this is based off, I guess I read this, it was based off more of Castlevania 3. And I do remember being a kid, because for those of you who are younger, th- think about this one for a second. Uh, you used to have to go to the video store to rent video games. And uh, for Super Nintendo, I do rem- like I do remember seeing a Castlevania on the wall. I just wasn't allowed to get it because it looked bloody. My mom was not having that when I was at such a young age. But I have never played any of the Castlevanias. But I kind of want to now. Uh, Adi Shankar is an executive producer. He's kind of a a name, isn't he? The YouTube personality. Um, yeah, he's been around. He produced Dread. Oh, okay. Like Judge Dread? Uh, no. Oh. He produced The Gray. Ooh, like the Liam Neeson's The Gray? Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. I cannot wait to spoil that at some point. I love. Can I do that for spooky spoilers if I win tonight? If you win tonight, sure. But. All right. I mean, that is kind of a scary movie, but to get back to this, um,. For any of those who are on the fence about Castlevania, just watch it. It, like Pappy said, it takes a minute to really get into it. But once they do, I mean, you just you leave wanting more. They're already making season two, which is going to be eight episodes, twice of what the first season ordered. So you got to know it's going to be action packed, more f bombs, more people getting ripped in half, just anything that looks great on animation. Um, Pap, do you have any lasting thoughts? Uh, no, I, I would just echo what you said. Like, it's definitely a yes. This is definitely preserved. And, like, it really might be the best video game adaptation to some sort of film that I've seen. So, really pumped for season two and, like, worth checking out. It's only 80 minutes. It's worth it's it. It's only 80 it. minutes and it, yeah. it flies by. I mean, this is not a boring show at all. And, um,. If you have children, do not watch it with them. No, this thing no, will no, no. only produce nightmares. Seriously, this is an intense show, but so much fun to watch. Uh, definite yes, and uh, so pumped you liked it, Pap. I, I thought you would. As someone who I think appreciates anime as much as you do, I thought this would be right up your alley, so I'm happy you liked it. Yeah. Um, My only complaint is there's not more to watch. There's just not enough. So that is all from us, uh, from Stevie and Pappy. Thank you for listening, and let's kick it over to Spoilers Man. Bye-bye. That was fun. That was fun. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme. Our number is 903-776-4507. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Please don't forget to leave us a review by searching for movie spoilers, clicking on the cereal bowl, select the reviews tab, and leave us some stars and some words. That was spoilers.
Is that from Batman? It's kind of like a high trumpet sound. I don't know. Sorry, I'm a little That? No, it's kind of like when something bad happens, like a villain comes out of nowhere. Yeah. That's like Doug, isn't it? It's like Jack Bandit. What on a Jack Bandit? That's Jack Bandit? Isn't it? Oh, no. Feel, no, no, I feel no, like no. That was original Batman. That just seems like something out of the original Batman canon, like Adam West, R.I.P. Is it in Kill Bill? Oh, you think it's from an actual song? I think it's in like multiple things. I think it's like a trope, maybe. And it's like at the very end, yeah. I don't know. Oh, you hate Kill Bill, though. All right. I'll count us down. Sorry, and also, this this is going to be a really discombobbled episode, so this is going to be a lot of fun. We'll figure it out. All right. <laughs> Three, two, one, go.